to the modern mind stories like the story of noah in today's first reading present more questions than answers how could god destroy all of creation after all it was god's creation is god not a compassionate god if sin had become so pervasive and oppressive could god not have sent jesus then why did god wait so long as we ask these questions we must remember that the book of genesis was really not written as an eyewitness account if that is a case is the story that we hear just a myth answers differ depending with whom you talk so if you go down to the creation museum down in kentucky we can find the creationists explanation of the origin of the universe and life on earth creationists believe in a literal interpretation of the creation story in the book of genesis the museum even has a repli- replica to the exact specification of the kind of ark that god had asked noah to construct and if you look at that there's no way all the creatures could have gotten into that ark but the creationists believe that that's exactly how it happened catholics hold a more complex view about creation catholics the catholic position rejects both creationism and strict evolution so here is what john paul ii pope john paul ii wrote about all of this he says indeed the theory of natural evolution which is what darwin talks about right the theory of natural evolution understood in a sense that does not exclude divine causality is not in principle opposed to the truth of creation so catholics are saying that evolution is an acceptable hypothesis but believe that even evolution is guided by divine purpose that's the catholic position this. so where does that leave us with the story of noah and the flood first of all we have to understand that the bible is not a book of scientific explanations it's not it tells us what god did and how god did it so for example with regard to the floods modern researchers suggest that flood deposits in southeastern mesopotamia point to a deluge in the region but that probably the flood did not cover the whole earth because they've studied this for us the focus of the book of genesis is not scientific research but the purpose is theological 
we have to draw, draw theological meaning from what has been described in this flood. So here, I would like to offer today three theological implications of the story of the flood. Here's my first one. The horror of sin. As a faith event, Noah's story has a bigger purpose. First, the story teaches God's people of the destructive power of sin. Sin and evil have the power to destroy humanity. Just look at the violence, the wars, the killing, the inhumanity, the hunger, the starvation, the poverty, the misery that plagues the world today. Honestly speaking, the way we are going, we don't need a flood to destroy us. We are doing it ourselves. Sin is a horror. In light of this message, Noah's story teaches us to look at sin in and around us and treat it with horror. Just as Noah was a righteous man in the midst of a sinful world, we are invited to live righteous lives in a world that is deeply impacted by sin. Secondly, the power of God's love. So Noah's story does not end with death and gloom, right? It ends with God's first covenant with humanity. It ends with a sign of hope. It ends with the promise of new life emerging from the depths of death and destruction. In fact, Noah's story sets the pattern. It sets a pattern. You're familiar with the word pattern, right? You look at relationships and you see, where do I see patterns? So Noah's story sets the pattern for the story of our own salvation. And it's a fourfold pattern. So you have creation, sin, destruction, recreation. That's the Noah story. In the story of salvation, which reached its climax in the life of Jesus, it's the same pattern, incarnation, life, death, resurrection. So creation, sin, destruction, recreation with Noah, Incarnation, life, death, and resurrection with Jesus. What does this mean for us? This means that in spite of our, of our sins, and we're all sinful folks, in spite of our sin, there is hope. Always. It means that despite our weaknesses, the promise of redemption never fails. No one should lose hope, ever. And finally, we have the waters of the flood and the waters of baptism. In today's second reading, St. Peter makes a connection between the waters of the flood and Christian baptism. Peter says that the primeval flood prefigured baptism. Here is what he says. God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few persons, eight in all, were saved through water. And then he says, the waters of baptism saves us now. 
So baptism, when you all have been baptized, becomes a sure sign of salvation. But salvation is brought about by a different kind of flood. The flood of God's love and mercy manifested in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So yeah, sin is still exists. But if in Noah's time it was the flood of the waters that destroyed much of creation, for us it's the flood of God's mercy and love that saves us. The rainbow at the end of the flood. God's covenant with Noah. The dove bearing the olive branch all prefigure the new covenant sealed through Jesus Christ. So let me conclude on this first day of Lent by suggesting and inviting each one of us not only to become increasingly sensitive to sin, but also respond deeply to the promise of salvation that God makes to us. May we live, may we be grateful for the waters of baptism by which we have died to sin and have risen to new life in Jesus Christ. People of God.